Uh, I need to begin this morning completely different than I had planned. You know, they say confession is good for the soul. So I need to make a confession. A few weeks ago, I was platform chair and I was handed a thank you note from Wayne and Debbie Sibolic. And so I read it that morning in prayer time. And it got left here on the podium. And this morning I come in early and I came up to check the order of service and to see if it was the same that I thought it was. And there was that thank you note laying there. looked like somebody was going to share it again. So I thought, well, we don't want to do that. So I took it. I'm sorry, Dick. I'm the one to blame that you couldn't find that note. (laughs) We probably don't need to share it again, but I know Wayne and Debbie are very thankful for the help that they had. (laughs) So I went first. Who wants to confess now? (laughs) Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the 24th chapter. This is a a pretty familiar passage for most of us, but I want to look at it again just a little bit. Luke, the 24th chapter, and we're going to begin in verse 13. This is the story that we typically call the road to Emmaus. It began earlier that day when the women had gone to the tomb and discovered that it was empty, and they went back and told the disciples and the others. And when we pick up in verse 13, we read this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and hurried and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. If you have your own Bible this morning and a pencil, I would encourage you to turn to that 21st verse and to underline three words there. We had hoped. Those are probably some of the saddest words in all the Bible. We had hoped. And yet this morning, we all know what it is to lose hope, don't we? We all know what it is to have a hopeless feeling. I read about a preacher who was going through his father's things after his father had passed away, and he found his dad's report card from seventh grade. Steve and I have burned ours so that our children don't find ours when we're gone, but this pastor found his father's and he was looking at the grades and he turned it over and on the back of course it had the grading scale a b c d and f and yet this report card had one more grade now i'm not going to make you raise your hand this morning but some of us have received an f on a report card and it didn't feel good And you kind of felt, at least I, kind of felt like a failure when I got that F. But here was one more letter, something even worse than an F. It was the letter G and the one-word explanation if you got a grade of G was hopeless. Now, I didn't know that there was anything worse than that F that I got. My parents led me to believe that there wasn't anything worse than that. But what a hopeless feeling that was. And we've all experienced it. And these two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus this day knew what that hopeless feeling was like. They had hoped that Jesus was going to be the answer to their problems. They had hoped that he would change their lives. They had hoped that he would make a difference in their world. But instead, all of their hopes had been dashed. They felt hopeless, and they felt like it was because of the cross. 
They had no hope that day as they set off to go back to their home at Emmaus. The tomb was empty, but no one had seen him apparently yet when they started down the road, so they didn't know the good news. All they knew was that they were filled with despair, defeat, discouragement. Did you realize that in the English language, some of the saddest words we have begin with the letter D? Disillusionment, disappointment, doubt, discouragement, despondency, depression, death. All of those words convey that idea of hopelessness. And every one of those words described what Cleopas and his friend felt that day as they were going down what I call the boulevard of broken dreams. You know, we often hear people talk about their dreams, their hopes for the future. If we were to talk to this group that was up here this morning and ask them, what is your hope Some of them would probably say, well, I hope to be a fireman or I hope to be a policeman. I hope to be a superhero. If we were to ask some kids that were just a little bit older, they might say, well, I hope that I can be the next LeBron James or some such thing. And our hopes don't die in youth. Young adults would tell us they hope to get into a good college or they hope to get a good paying job. They hope to get married, to buy a house. Older adults, we hope to have grandchildren, or we hope that our kids will decide to move back closer to home. We have hopes. We have hopes for a successful life, a successful future. But what we must remember, my friend, is that hope comes from God. God is the one that gives us that hope that we can be successful, that we can look forward to things in life. The psalmist says in Psalms 33, 18, the eyes of the Lord are on him who fear him, on him whose hope is in his unfailing love. Pastor Josh has been talking lately from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.3 reminds us in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Cleopas and his friend didn't realize it at the time, but they were going to experience that very hope that 1 Peter talks about. And then Paul writes in Romans, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, the Bible is full of stories of men and women who were promised hope of some kind and and then before that hope could be realized they had to go through some storms and some upheaval and some trials and some turmoil and it's God's word that will transform any situation into one where we truly do have hope because God's word has the power to give us hope it has the power to help us overcome anything anything that this world might throw at us. 
We are overcomers because Christ is our hope. He is our living hope. When people's lives fall apart, when it's your life or when it's a friend's life and it's falling apart, we need to turn to God. We need to remember that he will fill us with hope and he will fulfill us with his hope. Maybe today you're here and you're on what you would call your own boulevard of broken dreams. You are feeling disappointment. You know what despair is. And you can't see any hope at the end of your journey. Or maybe you have a friend who is going through a difficult time and they have turned to you, asked you for some advice and some guidance. Well, let me give you this morning three things that you always need to remember when you are going through these difficult times. And the first one is, it is a reality that life is full of heartbreaking, hopeless experiences. We can't escape it. And just as Cleopas and his friend said, we had hoped, so every one of us here at one time or another have said those same words, haven't we? It might be that today... You are the one who is feeling so heartbroken. And you have a list of things that are causing you to be down and out. Friends, from the cradle to the grave, there are going to be those dastardly D's that come into our life. Those times of discouragement and disillusionment. And we have to accept that they're going to happen If you're not experiencing it now, it's kind of like Ohio weather. Just wait a minute. It'll change. You're going to experience it. The Bible says no one is immune from trouble. Jesus himself in John 16, 33 says, Here on earth you will have many trials and many sorrows. You're going to face those dastardly deeds. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's the kind of hope that we want to cling to. And Jesus is our hope. I read about a newspaper in Nashville, Tennessee, that wanted to do an article on people who were suffering from a broken heart. And as the the uh, newspaper journalists got together, they thought, who better would know who these people are than pastors? People always come to the pastor and share their disappointments and the bad things going on in life. So the newspaper sent an email out to all kinds of churches in the Nashville area asking them to submit the names of people that they knew who were dealing with a broken heart. One of the pastors who received that email sent a package to the Nashville newspaper. It was the Nashville telephone directory. You see, he knew that there was not anybody in Nashville that was not dealing with a broken heart, with a disappointment of some sort. And today there is not anybody 
in Tuscarawas County who has never experienced a difficult time in life. So yes, those heartbreaking, hopeless experiences are part of life. And to go along with that, sometimes a broken heart just completely wipes out any hope that we have ever had. Verse 21 again, we had hoped. You know, we hear that all the time. We hear single people who say, well, I had hoped by now that I would be married. Or young married couples who say, well, I had hoped by now that we would have some children. We hear our youth say, I had hoped my parents would not get divorced. Or I had hoped that my parents would get back together again. Some in retirement age are saying, I had hoped I would be able to quit work by now. As a pastor... So many times on a deathbed, I have listened to people say, I had hoped. All of us at one time or another have experienced that. Hopelessness is when we are afraid that things aren't going to work out. Someone has said that hope is that feeling that the feeling you have won't last forever. That's pretty true, isn't it? It's the feeling that the feeling I have won't last forever. Millions of people the world over are looking for hope. Unfortunately, so many of us look for hope in the wrong places. We turn to alcohol or drugs or we get into a bad relationship or we think that if I just had more money, then I would have hope. And you know, those are not where we're going to find true living hope. Yes, we have broken hearts and broken dreams, and sometimes they wipe out our hope. But my friend, Jesus is the restorer of hope. Don't ever ever lose hope because just when you think it is over God is going to send you a miracle you know when Cleopas and his friends started down the road that day when they started down that boulevard of broken dreams nothing looked hopeful the Jesus that they had had so much hope in had been crucified And yet, just like that, there he was, walking with him. They didn't know who he was yet. That miracle was still to come. But they knew as they walked along that their hearts burned within them with excitement, Scripture says. They were excited about the things that Jesus was telling them about. And as they walked, their sadness turned to joy. And they discovered again, not despair, but hope. Their broken hearts were replaced with hearts that were burning with excitement and anticipation. They got their miracle. And Jesus wants to give us that miracle as well. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is going to take away 
all your problems. But Jesus will help you to get through them because there is power in hope. And hope is what gives us the reason to keep on when it seems like we ought to be failing and we ought to be giving up. We have hope when we have a relationship with Jesus. You know, many times in the Bible we read that little phrase, walk with. And what that means is it speaks of a close relationship. Jesus wants to walk with us. He wants to have a close relationship with us. But I have observed that too often we Christians treat Jesus like we do the spare tire in our trunk. How many of you this morning, when you got in your car and started down the road to come to church, worried about whether your spare tire had air in it or not? We don't think about it, do we, until crisis hits and we've got a flat tire. And then we want that spare tire to be ready to go, don't we? And too often that's kind of how we feel about Jesus. Oh, I know he's there but I don't really need him until a personal crisis hits. And then we want him. And that's not how he wants to work. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be in relationship with us as we walk down the boulevard of broken dreams. He wants to walk with us daily. I want to close this morning by reminding you about a story that probably most of you adults will remember. It took place on March 12, 2005, and it's a story about a woman named Ashley Smith. Ashley Smith was returning home about 2 o'clock in the morning. She had gone out to buy cigarettes. And as she came back to her apartment, she put the key in the door and she suddenly realized what I think is probably every woman's worst nightmare. She realized that there was a man standing right behind her with a gun into her ribs. She would later on discover that this man was Brian Nichols. I'm sure he's no relation, Jesse. But Brian Nichols had been in prison, and earlier that day he had escaped, and he had killed four people. And he saw Ashley Nichols, uh, Ashley Smith, walking from her car to her apartment. And he went into the apartment with her, pushed his way in, tied her up, and for the next seven hours he held her captive. And during those seven hours, Ashley Smith's miracle began to happen. For those seven hours, those two people began to talk to one another. They began to share their life stories together. Neither one of them had come from a good background. Ashley Smith told him about how her young husband had been killed in a fight with his friends when he was stabbed to death. And when her husband was killed, her life fell into a downward spiral. She had been in and out of mental hospitals. Twice she had flunked out of 
a drug rehabilitation program. Her addictions had become so bad that she eventually had given custody of her young daughter to her aunt so that the daughter would be raised in a stable environment. Her addictions made her do some irrational things and have some irrational thoughts. At one point, she thought maybe it would be best if she got close to God, and she decided a good way to do that would be as she was driving down the road, she took her hands completely off of the steering wheel. Um, That's not a wise thing to do, just in case you're considering it. And it didn't bring her closer to God. It didn't kill her. Instead, her car went off the road into the ditch and hit a tree. She broke both arms, she broke three ribs, and she had a severed pancreas. And while Ashley Smith and Brian Nichols were talking that night, she asked him at one point if she could read to him some portions of a book that she was reading. Ashley Smith was trying to get her life back on the straight and narrow. And so one of the things that she had begun to do was occasionally she would go to church with the aunt that had custody of her daughter. Less than a month before, she had gone to church with her aunt, and the church was getting ready to do a study of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And they were making copies of that book available to anyone that wanted one. They were asking a small donation if you had something to give. If not, you could just take the book. Well, Ashley Smith had a dollar in her purse, and so she felt like she needed to give that dollar in exchange for that book. Mind you, that dollar bill was all rolled up because she had it rolled up so that she could use it to snort meth. But she felt that she could give that offering and it would be an attempt to turn her drugs over to God. And so as they were together that night, she began to read from this book and she began to encourage Brian Nichols to think about how God could use his life in spite of everything that he had done if he would be willing to turn his life over to God. Ashley Smith was working during this evening, during this night, to try and build trust with this guy, to build a pond with him, to do something, anything, to restore some hope in a very scary situation. And finally, after seven hours, she convinced Brian Nichols that she had an appointment that morning to go visit with her daughter and that she had had such a terrible life that they were going to give permanent custody to her aunt if she did not keep these visitation appointments. And this was one of her last chances to be able to keep her daughter. And Ashley Smith got her miracle because Brian Nichols told her she could leave and she could go to that appointment. Well, instead, Ashley Smith called 911. A SWAT team came and surrounded that apartment complex, and less than an hour later, Brian Nichols walked out without any resistance 
and turned himself over to the police. Now, there's a lot about Ashley Smith that I think that we can admire. Oh, she was by no means a Proverbs 31 woman. She'd gone through years of traveling down that boulevard of broken dreams, and she was still on it. She did not have her life altogether, but she was beginning to realize that she needed to get things worked out. She was beginning to realize that God was who she needed to allow to have control of her life. And so I think for every one of us that is facing a situation where we're feeling kind of hopeless, that we can look at Ashley Smith and her experiences and that they can give us some hope. And that's what she talked to Brian Nichols about that day, hope. Later on in a newspaper interview, Ashley Smith said this, he needed hope for his life. I think God brought him to my door so that he wouldn't hurt anyone else. You know, for me, it's very easy to believe that Ashley Smith is alive today and that Brian Nichols is still behind bars today because God had begun to work on her life and she was beginning to listen and pay attention to God. She was trying to have a relationship with him and she was beginning to understand that Jesus Christ is our true source of hope. And so I ask you this morning, do you possess hope? Cleopas and his friend had hoped that Jesus would be the answer to their problems. And he is. They had hoped that he would change their lives. And Jesus does. And they had hoped that he would make a difference in their world. And he made a difference for them. And he makes a difference for us as well when we will be in relationship with him. They thought that the cross cross had crushed their hopes, but it was just the opposite. It was the cross that brought them hope. Today, if you are here and you are experiencing hopeless experiences, hopelessness in your life, I want to encourage you that at the foot of the cross, you will find that hope. It will be restored to you again. But I also want to tell you that if you are here today and you have never given a thought to a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that he loves you. He loved you so much, he was willing to go to that cross and die for you. But the story didn't end there. He rose again, and he lives, and he gives us a living hope that this world is not it, that there is more to life because he offers us eternal life. That, my friend, is the greatest hope that any one of us can ever have. Will you pray with me?
Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, I know that there are so many here today who are experiencing that despair and that depression, disappointment. Father, life is not going like they had imagined and how they had dreamed and how they hoped it would. But Father, we know that you are the giver of living hope. And we know, Father, that you love us so much that you were willing to go to that cross and that you will not deny that living hope to any one of us if we will believe that you are the Son of God and that we will believe and trust and live our lives in close relationship to us. Father, help each one of us today to recommit ourselves to living that kind of relationship, to making you be the center of our relationships. Father, if there is one here today that needs to have their hope renewed, Lord, we know that you will give it to them. And Father, if there is one here today who has never allowed you to be the center of their life, My prayer is that today will be their day of hope and victory. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. This morning we're going to sing a song. If you need to come to the altar and pray, you are invited to do that. If you need to come to the altar and make a decision, now is the time. Step out and come.